Welcome to this Law & Sport podcast with me, Sean Cotchell, the founder and CEO of Law & Sport. Our special guest today is a sports lawyer and senior partner at the law firm Ichia in Barcelona. His name is Ricardo Oliveira Salva. He's worked as legal counsel on some of the most important international sports events, such as the America's Cup, the Super League, Formula Moto Series. He's been a consultant uh, during the FIFA World Cup bidding process, and particularly looking at the Spain-Portugal bid. And during the podcast, you'll hear about things like such as esports, the current and most important issues in Spanish sports law at the moment. And he shares his experience of how he went from working in corporate law and transitioned into being one of Spain's top sports lawyers. Uh, he's a great guy, a great character. I think you'll love the podcast. Ricardo Olivieres Salva, he's a partner at the law firm Ichia. Thank you, Sean, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to, to be here. I mean, also you are... Enjoy, enjoy very much to stay here with you and to talk about sports on law. Great. So, so um, we had a. I was over last week at Is Day Barcelona, uh, and we were having. A, uh, popped into your your wonderful offices in the city to um, just have a catch up. And as we were talking, and I know we've, we've we've known each other for a while now. You came over to our conference last year. You just have a fantastic story about how you got into sports law, and I thought it'd be brilliant just to you know to one cover off that, and then talk about um, what's happening with his day Barcelona, which I also think is a super interesting project. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, for those who just to give you a whistle stop tour though, before we get into how you got into it, you know you're, you've got an, an incredible CV. Uh, you you're obviously. Uh, um, an international sports lawyer. You've worked with the America's Cup, Super League, Formula Moto Series, um, advising on FIFA, um, amongst other things, uh, both in um, sports organisations in Spain and in Portugal. Um, you've worked in the PGA tournaments, tennis, Formula One, the list goes on. Um, worked with football clubs such as Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Espanyol, Real Madrid. Um, how did you get into sports law? Well, it was quite a funny thing. At the time, I was started working at one of the largest uh, law firms in, in Spain. It was KPMG Abogados. I was uh, working in the M&A department. And so, so, so that's KPMG is in KPMG, the accounting yeah, firm? Yeah, right? the country so, so, firm. So that's their, their legal team? The, the legal team, well, yeah. yeah. I was working at the legal team. I was always been very keen on, on the sports. I am a sports fan, like you. Uh, I'm not a really good sport, sports athlete, so I decided. Like <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Well, I'm a lawyer. I will try at least to 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 involve my professional career with with the sports practice." So at KPNU, while I was working, I got a phone call from a recruitment firm, and they offered me if they would be interested to to be involved in the America's Cup project. Which was in the year that was in the year two thousand and four. So, can you just explain the America's Cup to those people who aren't familiar? Because okay. we were talking about this, and I think it's a fantastic uh, project to be involved with. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, the America's Cup uh, selling competition is the oldest modern trophy in in the world. It's even more oldest than the the Olympic modern uh, Olympic modern Olympic Games. The first edition took place in 1857 here in, in, in Britain. And it's like a selling competition that for the first time uh, was going to be held in the year 2007 in Europe, again, after 100 years. So the winners of the America's Cup, which was a Swiss syndicate uh, called Alinghi, uh, when you're the winner of this competition, you become the right holder of the event. So you have the right to choose the venue and the date for the next edition of the America's Cup. 
So the Swiss candidate, they run up a kind of bidding process through different cities across Europe, and they finally choose Valencia as the host city for the America's Cup uh, 2007. Obviously, to organize uh, an event like the America's Cup or the Olympic Games or, or World Championships like football or basketball takes some time. Mm. It's nothing that you can organize from one day to another day. So it requires at least uh, a couple of years to set up a local organizing committee, to recruit the people and to just to coordinate with the public authorities, all the facilities and all the infrastructure and all the sports matters related to that competition. And we were talking about this from the perspective of talking about students and people. I find it fascinating that you're at KPMG, mm -hmm. you know, doing the M&A, &A, the mergers and acquisition work. Mm -hmm. Because again, you know, at the moment, a lot of people, you know, sports, I guess at that time, wasn't quite as prominent as it is now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people we, we were talking about, oh, we yeah. speak to, sometimes overlook one thing about being a great lawyer in the first place, which often comes up, you know, and people would have heard me talk and lots of guests talk about this. You have to be a good lawyer first and foremost before you can be a sports lawyer. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, um, competitions... Um, and these major events like the America's Cup often also get overlooked because people go, it's easy to get excited about football and some of these more, let's say, uh, less, I know it's a, a famous brand, but uh, outside of the people who, who actually care about it, it's less well known, it's not as popular. Um, but these projects, the experience you get working on such events is, um, it could almost be unrivaled in terms of in such a short space of time to get such exposure because the type of, you know, maybe it's worth going into some of the work that you're involved with uh, with that project because you if you're normally dealing in the M&A type work yeah. it could take you as Tim Jones said who was involved in the uh, from Freshfields from involved in the Olympic Games he said you get accelerated learning yeah within a very uh, short period of time absolutely absolutely one of the things that I, I, I learned from working on the organization of events something that our CEO of the America's Cup told us from the first day we, we, we joined the, uh, the the company was that when you work on this kind of events of these kinds of this industry uh, during the competition days what when every day it, ha it passes you will never recover so you have to be, be immediately you need to take action immediately you need to be very fast pragmatic to just to to try to to solve the question if it's from a legal matter or a sporting matter you need to be quick because yeah. you will never recover that day and obviously you are working under so much pressure it's a different pressure from, from financial services or from other industries. It's a pressure that everything should go smoothly and quickly. I mean, you can. And that's where you're balancing the, um, like, you know, as people say, when you're doing more in house type roles, mm -hmm. uh, you have to balance up more the commercial as well as the legal. Uh, you know, so you're, 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 you know, the business wants you to, as you were saying, act quickly and decisively. They don't care whether it's the, exactly the right answer, but they care the decision is made. Absolutely. And the decision is made and the solution is taken and then the competition continues. And it's good practice to get in that habit. You know, probably for you now, you know, it's probably something that's, that's, that's to stay with you now when you advise your clients. It's exactly the same approach. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also what is really nice is that when you are working in-house in, in a sports entity, uh, there is something which is slightly, slightly different when you are working on a law firm, is that what you do, you see it, it's materialized. However, when you are in a, working in a law firm, which also is great because it gives you the chance to be involved in different sports uh, areas and in different sports disciplines and projects, Obviously, some, when the client calls you and they ask for your advice, you provide them the advice, but you don't know what will be the outcome of your advice. However, when you're working as an in-house lawyer or in an in-house uh, organization, then you see, you see the outcome, you're, you're seeing the result. You're much closer to it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's very fulfilling, I should imagine. Um, so you were at the America's Cup. Uh, that event went well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, well, well, enjoyable well. experience. And, then, and then, then what happened? Then, then what was the move? Well, then the move, if after winning, uh, I had the opportunity in 2007, a new sports project was, was, was on the landscape of the sports industry, which was called Super League Formula. It was a moto, moto race championship uh, where single-seater cars, more or less like Formula One cars, competing. Uh, but here there was a really kind. There was a really thing which was really, 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 really uh, different, which was that the participants that, uh, were f- football clubs. Right. Okay. So each car was painted with the colors and with the libraries of some football clubs. Oh, yeah. So it was a competition between a single seater cars of different football clubs. So we had uh, agreements with clubs from the Premier League, like. Liverpool and Tottenham, from the Spanish league, wow. Atletico Madrid and Seville, Italian league, Milan, from most of the countries of Europe, mm. and then from Brazil, the Emirates, and China. So for four years, I was involved as the legal director and business director of this, of this project. It was really nice. I had a really great experience, and that's, that's, that was my, my experience also as an in-house lawyer in the in a legal in a legal department of a sports organization, and in the meantime, I had a break for eight months because I received a phone call from from FIFA, Commer- legal commercial department, and I became their external legal counsel for the World Cup bidding process, 2018-2022 that FIFA was carrying on for 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 those editions, and because Spain and Portugal submitted a joint bid for the 2018 World Cup, and they needed a Spanish lawyer and law firm to provide them assistance on all the legal matters related to the organization of a sports event in Spain and in Portugal. So it was a eight months project, beautiful project, very intensive. I had the chance to be to be involved for a very top level with obviously with top executive of FIFA and then from the Spanish Football Federation. And it was well, that's very interesting, mm-hmm. from either from a legal perspective and also from a personal standpoint. Was there anything from that project that sort of stood out to you that you weren't either expecting, or what was the sort of key learning that you uh, uh, took, took away from it? Well, what, what I learned is we don't realize the immense amount of work from a legal perspective that is behind the organization of a project like the, the FIFA World Cup and the relationships between those right holders and the public authorities. And, and also realize that it is key, the involvement of public authorities and the governments to bid for an event like the Olympic Games or any World Cup championship without the support of the public authorities. Even if you are the richest country in the world with the, the richest companies in the world, you, can, you cannot stage well, one it, event. It's interesting, from, from the, uh, the London Games, it was one of the uh, things that they took on board and they were very proactive with it. So they made sure in advance of bidding that they had the buy-in that was one of the, you know, what, what a lot of the people involved in it, it was one of the key successes that they had addressed a lot of the issues up front. So when they put together the bid document, there was nothing uh, that was hanging in the background about uh, whether it was uh, volunteers or whether it was, you know, um, authority to purchase land or whatever mm-hmm. it was. They had already done a lot of the groundwork. Um, I think the document for that was like 170, the initial 170 pages yeah. plus all the appendices and, and everything else. Absolutely. Were, really, I mean, it's incredible, really. Um, 
But it's important, right? It really is important because it can yeah. make or break, uh, you know, the competitions. Yeah. And then, so that was an eight-month project. And then... And then, uh, after eight years on the working on for right holders, I decided to, to return to the private practice. And this is when I joined uh, Ethica Abogados, at least five years ago. So I'm now as a, as a private lawyer, I'm advising different sports stakeholders and to, to assist them on, on any legal matter, or even commercial matter related to, to, to the sports industry. And I really, take, I really enjoy, because as we were discussing last week, in Barcelona, football, it's the main industry. We know all that. Yeah. But there are other industries, there are other sports disciplines, such as cycling, sailing, motorsport, which are also quite, quite important for, 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 for the sports industry. And I think we, we need to take them into consideration, either, for, either from a sporting point of view, as well as companies, uh, they, they also should take into consideration to support them, to sponsor them. Because I think, yeah, we, yeah, again, we touched on this last week, that, and you do a lot of stuff in the tech scene as well, and the, and the startup scene in Barcelona. We were just talking about that earlier as well, which I think is... I think a lot of sports organisations, uh, given the how nimble they have to be and how resourceful they have to be, mm-hmm. imi- mimics in some ways, in theory at least, or could they make their benefit from fully adopting this? But the sort of lean startup approach, which is you know they don't have the big resources, sometimes uh, you know don't have all the profile, you know, but they are doing something that you know is often that could be anyway of an attractive commercial proposition in terms of sponsors if it's measured in the right way and if the brands open their eyes up to see the opportunity because you know if they can have more meaningful interactions and often a lot of these smaller sports have got very it's a loyalty with those fans absolutely um, and it's, yeah, again we, we talked about from a, from an educational standpoint with sports lawyers mm-hmm. trying to educate the sports law, like the aspiring sports lawyers that there's so much opportunity out there you don't just have to look at the Premier League or the Liga clubs yeah. or you know the, in, yeah, or football as a whole there's so much opportunity and you can get again this accelerated learning doing a whole you do um, a broader job for a smaller organization and get upskilled very very quickly or just become as like whether you choose to go to one of the big international firms or go to a smaller boutique firm it's a similar type of how much responsibility you get you know not saying one's right or wrong but it's often, it seems to me that it's often overlooked it's great to hear someone like yourself say say that there's so much um that they can take away from it. Absolutely and completely. I mean, if we just take a look at, 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 at the newspaper on the weekends, just go to the sports section and we will realize how many sports events are organized each weekend. I mean, yeah. football matches, basketball matches, rugby games, cricket games. So um, so that's sports industry. Yeah. Obviously, there are 20 games on the, 10 games on the Premier League or the Spanish League, but there are many, many, many sports events which they at least, and it's true that there are a lot of people help, helping these events to 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 be on on the pitch to 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 be to be success. So yeah. and I think there's um it's interesting from like a, from a legal perspective as well is that uh, from a bit or from from your selling there's lawyers selling their service often you know they're competing because the, the businesses or the organisations don't have a legal budget. <laughs> <You> know, <so laughs> yes. They haven't thought about it because yeah. they're trying to too busy trying to promote or you know pay staff or do whatever. And I think mm. that's where there's a great opportunity if they actually bother to have those conversations and reach out, they yeah. might find that all of a sudden a budget appears because they understand the value they're creating. Yeah. One of the things that you, you talked you, you touched on that, that I thought was really interesting with the football clubs, with the, the motorsport uh, uh, organisation you're involved with, was that 
it's funny how these things uh, replicate themselves again. And uh, with the esports movement at the moment, it seems very similar in the sense of football clubs or others are trying to attach themselves with esports teams because they see, you know, slightly different sort of engagement, I guess, with a, a certain age group. But it's very similar in terms of associating yourself, the licensing agreements. It's sort of, you know, that, that model has been done before. And yes. now, now we're seeing it again. Do you, yeah. you do much in the esports space? Or? On, on esports, we haven't been involved with, with, with any football club so far yeah. at, at the day, but we've been working for assisting some uh, esports organization, one sports organization in, in, in Spain. And it's true that they realize that they, they, they start receiving uh, calls and, and some... Uh, interest by by football clubs, for example, or basketball clubs yeah. in Spain, because as you said, I mean, for for these sports clubs, it's it's a way to 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 get engagement from the young, for the young people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true that the audience in in sport uh, is changing. It's changing. I mean, I would say that there is a traditional audience, a traditional which I would say people which thirty years old or. Above, but young people. I mean, they are more familiar with video games and e-sports. It's a very way, a very good way to associate, uh, to engage them mm. on on as a fan of of that club, as well as for the clubs to get a new revenue stream, and visibility of the brand. Yeah. I mean, visibility is it's key yeah. for 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 top brands. Uh, but because their because some clubs their brands are so visible, so important. It is not easy, not really easy for them to, to get involved in these projects. What, my, my, what I have learned is that sometimes some really big sports clubs, they prefer first to see the outcome of some small clubs that are involved in these new projects. Yeah. And if it works well, then I, I will join I, I, the project. And we've seen this with esports as a whole with the, bigger, with the big brands that's yeah. coming in now, yeah. where they held back for a couple of years. They were, you know, just testing, just looking at the government Absolutely. structures, you know, see, see how people reacted to it. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, like with any new market, you know, mm-hmm. as well, to get all the approval they need to go through, to get all the compliance signed off and everything else. So it's a big ask, right? So yeah. they have to be, be very intentional about these projects. Um, and also, sorry, sorry and, and also, uh, and this is something I was told by 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 by, by an executive of an English Premier League club. He told me, look, Ricardo, for us, because we are a top club, in whatever sport we are competing, we should be positioned at least to become one of the first teams. So if we finally decide to join the eSports leagues or new new sports competition, obviously what I have to be sure is that my team will be mm. competing as a top team. I can I can I mean I cannot be ranked at the middle of I should be the the, the winner or the runner up or the third position. Yeah, because otherwise you've got inconsistency in their branding, right? Absolutely. It's something very obvious when you think about it, but something I haven't put my mind to at all. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's really, it's really quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, one, one of the things that, um, that I thought we talked about this last week, and again, I was out there, le- uh, you know, lecturing. So it was, you know, particularly interesting to see how that was playing out. But you know, his days uh, has been, you know, you were. When was it? I'm looking at your your CV at the moment. You know, you were out uh, um, in the business school doing. Uh, when was it? Where you were doing the business law at his day? When, what year was that? It was year. Oh, it's been established for a long time, hasn't it, as an organisation? Yes, yes, yes. But well, I I, I didn't know a former student of his day, and at that time it was in 1997, and then I've been lecturing in in his day for for the last eight years. And that was on the initiative they have a sports law program. Yes. In, in that most people know about in in Madrid. Absolutely. And then more recently, you know, there's this new sort of joint venture with FC Barcelona. Absolutely. And to, since last year. 
terms of learning. And can you just talk about that model and more what you're involved in it with, and, and particularly because you've got involved more recently in a more hands-on approach. And I, I just enjoyed yeah. your sort of perspective on that. Yeah, well, um, my involvement with, 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 with the Football Club Barcelona is the, is the sports management and legal skills program is as academic director. We are two academic directors, myself and one of the executive directors of FC Barcelona. And basically, uh, our goals are uh, to provide to our students uh, uh, a panel of professors from all across the sports industry. Obviously, there is a, some there is a legal part, so with some lawyers, external lawyers, and then lawyers working in-house, but also from other areas and from other professionals which are involved in the sports industry, like yourself, yeah. or marketing guys, or ticketing, uh, consulting, uh, image rights. So one, so one of our goals is to work on the calendar with the professors, so just to clarify on this as well, this is something that came up the other day that, 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 that we were, I was joking around with a friend that said, oh, well, I'm now a professor. Because in the UK, if you're you know, a professor, it means you're, you're attached to an academic institution. Okay. You've done, you know, it's, just, it's a language thing. So in France and in Spain and in Portugal, you're a professor as a teacher. Like as a teacher. As yeah. a teacher. But in the, um, I can just imagine there's some academics listening to this going, hold on, he hasn't got, <laughs> he hasn't done his PhD and, and so so forth. But in the sense that when you talk about this, so to, to, to convert, uh, just to explain that, for, the, for those who are mm -hmm. um, sort of uh, are living in the UK or America in particular, who who think of professors as the people with PhDs, okay. that but mm -hmm. you do mean yeah, with with lecture, lecture as a teacher. It's true. We may have some, we have some professors in law, yeah. in law, in law, but but just just in law, and then just to give the opportunity to our students to to know, I mean, to know more about the sports industry, but because I mean. The sports industry, when you are outside of the sports industry, and in particular because we are, uh, people is very uh, influenced by the media and the press, well, it's one thing is what appears in the, mirror, in the media. But it's, to be honest, when you become involved in the sports industry, it's completely different. Yeah, it's yeah. completely different. One of my topics is to discuss and to explain them about TV rights. And I told them, everybody thinks, outside of the sports industry, that TV pays for any sport. Yeah, that's, that's not, not the case. Yeah, that's not the case. They only pay for two or three sports. That's all. Well, I remember the, the, the former, I'm not sure if it's former or current still, but England Netball mm -hmm. uh, gave a presentation. The CEO of England Netball gave a presentation at Burbeck College here in London. Yes. Uh, six years ago, seven years ago, and was explaining how they paid to be on Sky. And I remember thinking, because at the time I didn't know much about the process, and it was mm -hmm. a case of, well, they've got stuff to fill, but if they actually you know, want to produce the content, Sky aren't going to send the people down. They have to produce it themselves, essentially, so it costs them to be on on Sky TV. There's no, you know, Sky were like, we don't need you, essentially. You know, but if you'd like to, and we've got no, um, at the current, at that moment in time, they had no measure about how popular it was going to be, what the viewing figures were going to be. Therefore, it's an investment call, right? Absolutely. For, from, from Sky. And they were like, well, it's a risk for us. So at the moment, we'll take it. If you do the production, if you pay for the production costs, mm -hmm. so that's what they did. So it actually cost them to be on Sky. But I remember just thinking for exactly what you were articulating. Mm -hmm. That I thought, and uh, maybe some people would still do feel that in the space that, that that they were just you know the big media companies were just dishing out cash everywhere for everything that they showed, mm -hmm. and the reality is somewhat different. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, it's it's like this, and also they need the facility, the visibility of the TV for for the sponsors, and also for make this sport more popular. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So it, that's that's key. So as I said, the, the the to the one of my goals is just to decide on the on the calendar and the and the professors, teachers to to lecture on the, on the program. 
Also, I'm working on the program for next year. I mean, just to get the, the feedback from our students from this year and past year and to see if they will be more interested in some specific areas of sports. And then our my third commitment is to try to give them the opportunity to have an internship with a sports organization or a sports law firm a law firm with a practice in sport yeah. for three three months. I think that it's a win-win win-win situation both for 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 the employee for for the institution for the sports body and for the students because this as any some other sports management programs the 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 the, the level of knowledge they have access thanks to the teachers and professors is really broad and they can take this knowledge to the benefit of the employer. It's and it's been a, it's going to be an outcome focus with the, with the and for that, there was um, a really good uh, tweet earlier that um, Anton Deval from uh, um, ASA yes. Institute uh, put out about uh, a legal academic was basically saying that the problem with legal academics is that they you know they they just write for themselves essentially was the the quote from a guy I think his name was can't remember the guy's name now, but the um, anyway, the point there was a whole discussion then with him and another professor called Jack Anderson and others are all saying exactly the same thing. That in academia, what can can happen is you just have academics talking to academics, and there's no practical <laughs> application of the law or business practice. And so it's great when you actually have people who are practitioners coming in. I know that there's other institutions that, that, that do a similar thing. No doubt we'll have a bunch of them on to talk yeah. about this. And I think it's a, a trend we're seeing in the space that people are, are listening to the organisations. And saying, hey, what, what is it we require? And how do we best upskill those? Because you know we've got our recruitment arm now, as an example. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of very intelligent, well-educated individuals out there, but it's actually understanding the context that we should apply the knowledge that they've got, which is the the greater challenge for when people are trying to recruit them into the businesses. So I think it's great that you're doing that. Can you talk also though about um, uh, the how how this fits with SC Barcelona? Like, because I think that. Um, uh, that was a, I wasn't aware of yeah, that structure. Absolutely yeah. no, but Barcelona, FC Barcelona, uh, some it was two years ago they decided to, to launch a new department within their organization, which is called Barcelona Innovation Hub, and basically the idea of Barcelona is uh, to be associated with different um, institutions from management, law, and sports medicine. And just to try to to combine the the knowledge and the, and the expertise that Barcelona could bring to to these institutions, and then to get the educational background from these institutions, and then to 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 implement different programs on sports law, sports management, and medicine. So, when this this uh, department of Barcelona Innovation Hub is basically focused on on education, on development, and research. All related to football. Yeah, super interesting. It's very, it's very interesting. Yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, all the uh, in there's some information on Barcelona website, yeah. but I think it's an important step because it may it may be in, in a, maybe in another football in another clubs. So I have no idea, but yeah. but but this is quite 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 unique. Yeah. And for Barcelona, it became important to 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 uh, to uh, take the opportunity. Uh, to share their knowledge with 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 at educational level with with uh, different fields and it's cool for the students and it's great for <laughs> and it's great like, for the students like, yeah and again it's the, like it's the there's a few things right it's great for the uh, the organisation because you get the association with a, a well known uh, very successful football club yeah. and it's great for the it makes it exciting because I looked at the um, 
I was fortunate to obviously in advance get the uh, the agenda for the students, mm-hmm. uh, the schedule for the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole bunch of periods of time marked out to go to the club. And actually, and I think you were saying that the club have been really um, engaging in that process. Absolutely. It's not the fact that they've, uh, maybe it was Daniel Pinto who was telling me as well that mm-hmm. they actually, yeah, the students are really engaged and they, you know, they really are integrated within the club, which I thought, that, that was just really, from, from a personal perspective, I thought that was really cool. That's something, you know, when I was hey, It's cool. I mean, if we put ourselves as a student 20 years ago, if I would have the opportunity to, to be involved in, in, in a program similar to this one, I'm sure that I would have taken the chance. And well, it's great. I, I remember like, uh, you know, when I started out, um, meeting people like yourself and just getting so excited that there was people who were acting on all the things that I was reading about in the paper yeah. and the thought how, that blew my mind like when I first started that so I'd imagine if you're actually involved with a club in some way or any other sports organisation yeah that's you're, you're halfway there because at least you're getting um, uh, a realistic assessment of what's going on mm-hmm. you can actually see in practical I think that's you know with likewise with, likewise with internships and, and so forth the, 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 the why it's so important yeah. Um I just thought it was, yeah. So thank you so much for your time. But before before we close off, um, what would you say are sort of the things that you're sort of monitoring as, as like, what are the things that interest you at the moment in sports law generally or in academia that you think are like current trends that, that there's, you just don't think, oh, I'm, I'm curious to see how this develops. Mm-hmm. Well, first, one topic we have already discussed, it, which is uh, the, the industry of e-sports. Okay, I, I really, really have some questions about about uh, not not about the, the project, about the industry, which is a huge success, mm-hmm. and whether or not this industry will will follow or will take the opportunity of some learnings of the sports industry, traditional sports. So we will see how it, mm-hmm. how 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 e-sports and traditional sports will be will be will be. Involved it's together. one of my favourite that that topic itself, and I know no. that like people like Daniel Gee and Andrew and the guys mm. at Sheridan's and some of the guys um, in the US have uh, you know done some pieces of uh, like academic work on on this. Um, and it. I love that as a topic no. because you can. It's a great uh, it's a great one to debate. Again, I know I was on about practical application, but it's one of those ones where it's really good just to. There's a good uh, conversation to have down the pub or a restaurant over dinner to, to say where there's similarities, where there's differences, because um, I, I'll say with esports, I'm not sure if this is your view. I, I kind of liking it almost to like. Um, uh, it, it's almost like boxing, mm-hmm. as opposed to sport. I see it yeah. similar to where you don't really have a governing body. Absolutely, uh, you have got someone like now. There's there's uh, you know, government initiatives in Germany and here and just a great regulation yeah. around it. Mm-hmm. So you have that level, but then really they're independent businesses. But then you've got the influence of the the publisher, obviously, who control uh, yes. the title. From a legal perspective, I just think, and I think any students are listening, if you want to invest some time and really tax your mind, it's a great, it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for them. I mean, they have their own business. They they are have been. I mean, it's proven. They are very smart. They have created very good institutions, organizations, uh, private businesses. I think they, they they from a business perspective, it's it's great. Yeah. It is not that. They should take benefit of all what is involved in the sports industry because not all, not all what is involved in the sports industry is it's, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. for them to take the opportunity of some knowledge and of good experience that has been implemented in the traditional sports to learn from this and to bring well, this to the to, to the e-sports. Well, so, so you know, at the conference last year we had an e-sports panel. The, the, the first one was uh, February two thousand and sixteen. 
Mm-hmm. We had an esports panel, and that and that came about for this very reason that Ian Smith, who's the um, the commissioner for the Esports Integrity Coalition, mm-hmm. uh, he was formerly of the Professional Cricketers Association, okay. involved in the International Cricket Association, he was in house counsel. Um, and he'd suddenly been asked to do some work in esports. Was looking at it and going, "Well, actually, you know, looking at the integrity issues, particularly around uh, match fixing and, and corruption in that in that regards, betting, yes. know, what was going on there? A little bit of doping stuff." But he he was he convinced me at the time that one, it was really interesting, and he was right. Uh, and later, Andrew, like Andrew and those guys at Sheridan's, did the same thing as well. Like they made me more aware of some of the issues. But it was also the fact that, and this is what I, and I still think is exciting, I think it's two-way. So I don't only think it's the esports got the opportunity to learn uh, from traditional um, sports, from the, from the you know, best practice. I think it's the other way because it, it does bring into question some of the rationales to, to give sport an opportunity to go, if we were starting from scratch and we were to do this, would we approach it in the same way we approach it now? Mm-hmm. Where sometimes they don't, you may not have the opportunity for reflection. And I think that's really interesting. Absolutely, uh, it's it's both levels from one, from e-sports to traditional sports, and from traditional sports to e-sports. I completely I completely agree. And yeah, I think absolutely. also, uh, you know, as, as I say to to you know things like like athletes' rights or the player rights or you know however you want to call it or or the licensing structures and all this sort of stuff, it it, it, it just creates an opportunity to do something different. Uh, whether or not it's better or not is a different matter, but it just creates that opportunity to to try it out to see what happens. Um, and I think, uh, particularly something as you know in sport, mm-hmm. probably in your experience, if something's mm-hmm. successful, it quickly gets adopted very quickly. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. esports being one of them, then. When then, uh, the football industry. I mean, football industry uh, because there is a huge amount of money behind this industry. Uh, obviously, how they will deal with max fixing. I, they are working very hard. We yeah. know that uh, transfer of players. Uh, go- corporate governance. Uh, these 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 subjects are on the table already. I know that uh, the the largest uh, football sports organization at all levels, from clubs, organizations, international federations, national federations, they're all involved. But this is this is a. I, I'm looking forward to see if there will be more changes on 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 key matters related to the sports football industry. This is something. And we've got some big things coming up, like the, the, the discussion around agents again, yes. which is hopefully going to be a more proactive one <laughs> and a more positive outcome than we had last time. Absolutely. Uh, with intermediaries. Yeah. And then the match fixing one's interesting. Match fixing. Betting, the relationship between betting and sport generally yeah. is, a, is a good. The discussion we, ha- we have had during the last two or three years about the TPO yeah. is something that's still to be, um, to be, you, to be you, considered. You, we both know Ariel Rec. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And he, he was saying that there was an issue in. In Argentina, where there's a club suffering because of the the, the third-party investors, not the ownership, but the, looking at alternative financing and how that's been prohibited, mm-hmm. and it was like there's no other revenue in those countries because they don't have the governance structures, and uh, it's, it's really. And obviously, Daniel Cravo being another one who who talks about this, the reality yeah. of the world of, mm-hmm. that they exist in is not quite the same as the. Uh, European, a lot of the European countries, top European countries in yes, particular. In particular, yeah. I mean, I'm not very supportive on prohibitions on, on any matter. I think it's more than control and transparency. As long as you can control it and, and be transparent, it, it because as you said, uh, this sort of of income or revenues are necessary in in some markets. Yeah. So. I'm not saying that I was completely uh, in favor of the former system. Yeah. But also to move from one from one side to the other side, I mean to provision it was my feeling extremely, extremely. So that like when you, what's really interesting, as I speak to people 
uh, I say this to people, what's fascinating for me, as we speak to as I speak to sports lawyers internationally about this, on one hand, uh, I won't mention any names, but uh, you know, I could speak to sports lawyers in one country and they'll tell me that there's no such thing as TPO anymore, it's eradicated from the sport. And I speak to people in South American countries, in Portugal, who go, oh no, yeah, we, we still see it. And in, you know, yes. whether it's on the table and like one of the one of the, the things that I always find interesting that someone said to me recently, a very good sports lawyer, um, said to me, uh, you know, there's normally like two or three contracts, particularly with South American football clubs yes. um, players. There's normally three contracts. And I was like, well, what happens when there's a dispute? And they said, it's whoever files it first. <laughs> the, <laughs> well, the one that gets referenced is the, the one they anchor to, is the one that, uh, that they deal with at FIFA Dispute Resolution Chamber. It's normally the one that files first, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's... You know, again, we've got these regulations in place, but it doesn't necessarily resemble the reality of the world, and therefore it can only be affected to a certain uh, level. Uh, super interesting. Super interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think yeah. Uh, I think there seems to be. Would you say as well? I've, I'm seeing to at least at UEFA level, um, seeing a much uh, greater trend towards transparency. Mm-hmm a shift uh, uh, in terms of whether it's from a disciplinary perspective at least and I think that can only be good because then you're informing the market about really what's going on and then then you can make an educated discussion as opposed to just leaking out certain small bits of information and then we end up with a uh, um, uh, not a full discussion. We end up with just dealing with one part of the problem as opposed to a holistic problem. Yeah. So, so esports, football, and then anything and, else. And then, yeah, and the third point, it would be uh, it would be a combination of the TV rights with the major sports events. We have now new platforms coming on, mm. on <laughs> as a very important players like Facebook, Amazon. Amazon. So, and for major sports events, which uh, they have received for many years a huge amount of money from traditional TV broadcasters or TV platforms, that's going to be an important change. Maybe not on a short-term basis for the for the next four or five years, but I'm sure that and some major sports organizations such as the IOC or FIBA or FIFA will need to consider the, 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 the role of these social media platforms on, on the on the promotion, I would say, and on the broadcasting of the rights. Mm. And something that sooner or later, it will be on the table. Yeah, and, that, and that's another interesting one, because depending on who you speak to, you get a different... You get Absolutely. Because there's, <laughs> there's often as well the, uh, what people think. I love, as you know, I love talking to people off the record and uh, over coffees and, and uh, at the end of events and stuff where people can talk more freely. But when they're talking publicly at events, there's often a corporate line they've got to tow. So they're not going to give you their... <laughs> their view. Their real view on it. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, rightly so, they're being responsible towards their organisation, uh, and, and yeah, their professional conduct is important. But when you actually get there, you know, this is my personal view. You get a really good sense of of uh, the differing views on how it may pan out. Um, but it is interesting as well because you wonder what opportunities that creates for some of the. It creates know, opportunities. Yeah. I mean, and, and we create opportunities and advantages for. for I mean, whatever is new, we, you cannot you cannot just run any company. Not in the sports industry, you cannot run an economy and not taking into consideration the technology which is behind you. And what um, do you think about um, uh, the view? Of, let me let me phrase a, a decent question rather than, rather than rabbit on. Um, what influence, uh, and do you see a positive one that, 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 that 
these new platforms and delivery uh, and, and um, delivery mechanisms, I guess, and formats um, will affect the sport. So we've already seen in football, for example, a long, longer half times, so <laughs> you can get more ads in. Right, we've seen uh, short form in cricket. IPL has been more successful as a proposition. How do you see that sort of panning out in terms of like some of the, the let's say basketball, football, like yeah, the forms of the sport being affected because of the the money essentially you can make yeah. if you can package it up into a more attractive proposition? Well, uh, I think that's necessary uh, because it's a way to engage. The millennials, basically, it's because they are they are compl- they're used to, to to follow sports or to follow the news on a different platforms on different. I mean, they are not TV; they, they, they work on tablets, iPhones. Yeah. So it, it's it's necessary. It's necessary. I think it's it, it will it will be good for 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 both of them, the organizer and uh, the audience. The, the, and in terms of revenue stream, I'm not familiar with 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 how much of money can this generate for the organization. But uh, I would say that uh, on a short-term basis, uh, the the key aspect for these organizers would be to have this audience engaged with the, with the event. And, and uh, uh, one final question. I always say this one final question, and I normally ask three. Um, <laughs> but that's so, okay. So I apologize. <laughs> You're like, hey, looking at you, I've got to go. Um, but if it's okay, can I ask you one? Uh, yes, please. Uh, what, what would you say at the moment? What's the hot topic in Spain at the moment? I know we talked last week about GDPR, that's yeah. around that. What, what, what is the sort of the one of the key discussion points in sports law in, in Spain at the moment? The the key, or from your perspective, or you know, it doesn't have to be one. It can be a. Is it? Well, in Spain, for this is not more a hot topic, but uh, we had long discussions about the the selling of the TV rights. Okay, which finally last year they came up with a solution. They, they, enacted, that, yeah. they, they enacted a law and it's uh, following the the system of the Premier League or the Bundesliga, so collective rights, which I think it was an uh, excellent, excellent decision and it will be in benefit of all the parties. That was, that was a large lead. The yeah. politics was causing it. was politics and then also there was a, the, the view from Barcelona and Real Madrid because they were earning a lot of revenues on, on, on this from TV rights on an individual basis in comparison with other European clubs or even with the Spanish league clubs. But I think that they made a good movement and rational decision because Barcelona and Madrid, for example, they will be very strong teams and as long as the Spanish league is strong. Absolutely. I mean, you can, you can, you are competing on a domestic league, and you need you you, you need to support your your, your league at yeah. other levels. So thanks it's to this, of, it's one of the dynamics of sport, right? Absolutely. Unusual dynamics. You need your competition. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the other side is the the the, the new general data protection regulations, as you said. And uh, yeah, I mean, some sports institutions are 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 basically amending their, well, they are just reviewing their policies on GDPR in order to adapt them to the new regulations that will be enforced as of May 2018. So this is another another topic. And that's basically, that's the, the hot aspects that we are now having in the Spanish sports market. Oh, so far. Well, thank you so much for your time. An absolute pleasure to see you, as always. Um, yeah, I enjoyed our discussion last week. I really enjoyed this discussion. I think there's, um, for, you know, I'm sure a lot of the established sports lawyers out there will be listening to this, whether it's in-house or a private practice, will listen to this um, and uh, and think, oh, yeah, no doubt they've got, they, they can, they can um, empathise with your journey and, and understand it because they've gone through a similar 
similar one themselves, but and hopefully for the aspiring though, I hope you know it cements the fact that uh, there's not always a linear way into the sports market, mm-hmm. and that sometimes some of the like, you know going to KPMG for you was a, was you know a stepping stone for you to get into the sports work, and uh, yeah, and hopefully as well some sports organisations, like some clubs. Uh, I'm sure, I have to now do some research. Cause I'm pretty sure Man City are doing something innovative in this sort of space. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there's many other clubs. And I hope that continues to do these sort of innovative ed- and partner with educational providers. I just think that has got to be the way forward to ensure that we get the yeah. right uh, types of individuals with the right level of knowledge suited to organisations coming through. And that, that can only, I, selfishly, that can only be better for as far as I'm concerned. Uh, if more people, uh, if we can help create a higher professional standard within the sports all over, we reduce the risk of these some of these horrible situations we've seen in the scandals yeah. or, or abuse of, of athletes, uh, or just match fixing, or whatever. And it becomes a more investable proposition for governments and for sponsors, and and means we can enjoy sport more. Right? Absolutely, absolutely, and both for for young students, for undergraduate, as well as and there was a discussion in your conference last year, also for former athletes, some former sportsmen, sportswomen. I mean, if also from the academic side, from from the sports institutions we can provide them with, with the knowledge and, and general and necessary tools for them to continue involved in the sports industry. At least they have been practicing sport at a professional level. So it is true. I mean, I haven't had the opportunity to be, to be a professional sports player, but I realize that people who have been involved, they also have this kind of feeling mm-hmm. that they know how to treat this industry as well. Yeah, and yeah. we need to take the opportunity of some of these guys to, to come more onto to our industry. Well, we do, yeah, as, as you know, like we said last week, that uh, you know we give for, for like free membership basically to former and current uh, elite athletes, Olympians, Paralympians, and uh, to, for that reason to upskill them rather than trying to like uh, you know, take advantage of their profile, or whatever, just to let them understand the legal issues, but also hopefully give them guidance if they would like to get into the profession. Absolutely. On that point, I should do a reminder. I'm awful at doing these things. Uh, we, if you haven't already checked it out, please check out our. I'll put a link uh, below the podcast for our mentoring scheme on this point. Okay. And that is open to athletes. It is open to students. And uh, we discussed it last week. Yes. Um, uh, we've got some fantastic uh, people. Sorry, am I allowed to say that you're going to be one of the mentors? Uh, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just checking. I do want to. I do. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, uh, Ricardo is going to be one of our fantastic mentors. We were, uh, again, there's, we're disclosing some of the mentors. We've got some amazing people who are, volu- who are currently volunteering to be part of the scheme. Uh, it's a great opportunity to, to get. Advice, uh, you know, at least three times a year with contact with, as you just heard, some of the leading sports lawyers like Ricardo. Um, so please check it out, get involved. It's there to try and help people, and particularly internationally, so we get a great, great diversity and upskill the global sports market. Because I think we can become very complacent and be Euro- too European focused and or too American, you know, Western really focused, and not think about, you know, we are our ICS as a global community anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know you would echo that as well. So thanks so much for your time. Uh, really, honestly, a real pleasure as always. But um, thank you. Thank you, Sharon. It's been a pleasure to be to be here. Thank you very much.